Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Well, we certainly live in unprecedented times, and we're seeing things that we have never seen before. And uh, we're watching our society crumble in in front of our very eyes. I want you to do something today, if you have a chance, um, is to write in your Bible the date, uh, July 5th, uh, 2020, because this, in 244 years, has never occurred. And what has occurred? You were told by a pharaoh in Sacramento not to sing to the Lord today. And you did it anyway. Amen. God bless you. And I, I, I want you to write it down. This is the day when you, you took your stand and said, I'm not going to be told by Caesar or Pharaoh what to do as far as worshiping my God. And so you keep that in mind as we move forward in the days ahead. These politicians who think they can tell you against the Constitution what, which would allow you to do worship... If they can run roughshod over our God-given rights, they got another thing coming. Now, I understand there's a lot of churches that won't. I understand there's a lot of people, Christians, who won't take that opportunity. But what God is doing is showing you, as we move forward, the difference between a Laodicean believer and a remnant believer is very obvious. And so, God is showing that for a reason. And God is showing a lot of us how this world is crumbling because they don't go to him anymore. They are trying to kick God out of this world, out of their society. And what they're really doing is trying to seek life other than from God. Trying to create a utopia, a Marxist utopia, without godly principles or a king. And what you're seeing is... All these people are running to their safe spaces where they think life is at. We're seeing sexual deviancy. Why? Because they think that life is in the sexual deviant world. And we're seeing things that are unprecedented in the sexual arena. I never thought I'd see the day of a drag queen story hour. But I'm going to tell you this, what's coming. And no one seems to be stopping this. Pedophilia is next. I hate to tell you that. That's how deviant this will continue to go. They will have to have special rights because they were born this way or whatever. And you'll see that. And then we see these gender changes. I feel like a man or I feel like a woman, so I'm going to have a gender change. And or I'm going to allow my 7-year-old, my 8-year-old to have a gender change. That's child abuse. Unfortunately, these people think they can find life in this. You saw in the prophecy update. More and more people are committing suicide and drug overdosing. Why? They think they can find life in the drugs or the addiction that they're in. This is what happens to a society that won't go to Jesus for life, but goes to the things of the world. They end up dead. The things of the world cannot promise them life. Only God can. And so they've been selling this to the public, you know, for decades upon decades... That you don't need God. You can find happiness in this life without Him. It's a bold-faced lie. It's satanic. 
But now we're reaping the consequences of a society who is going after the things of the world. This segues into what we're going to study today with the plagues that come upon Egypt. And what we're going to see here in the plagues, and everyone typically knows the plagues of Egypt, but they know it in kind of a roundabout way and in a surface way. But what I want to do in the plagues is take you to a deeper level to understand all the theological concept that God's doing through them. Because the plagues are meant to be a witness to the world, not only in that time, but today. It also foreshadows the great tribulation plagues as well. That if you want to know what God was doing here in Egypt, he eventually he will do it globally to the world. So a lot of the plagues will seem to parallel what happens in the tribulation. That's not a mistake. That's not an accident. It's there for a reason, to tell a witness to this world. You'll also see in the plagues that it parallels the creation story. And if you remember the creation story, you go from chaos to a new creation. In chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 1, the world is in chaos. It's, a, it's darkness and it's a watery heat, both two represent judgment. A judgment has just happened, but then God creates something new out of that, that mass of judgment and creates the new earth and the, and, and the new heavens that we're in right now. But what happened prior to that? Satan's fall. The gem earth was, uh, was cursed because of Satan's fall, and that's why we go from a decreation to a recreation. The same will be true as you study the plagues. The plagues are in nature a judgment, but they are a decreation. God is decreating to prove something to the Egyptians and to this world that God alone has the ability not only to take apart his creation through judgment, but has the ability to put it back together again. And that theme will carry through through the plagues. So I want to pick up on that as well. So there's a lot of things going on here. The core of it, and this is why I've entitled it Yahweh, the source of life in Exodus 7 through 8. And we're going to just look at the Nile turning into blood. We're just going to look at that alone. What's happening here is a theme, a theological theme that God's trying to get across. And his point is that he is the only source of life. That is his thing. That society can run to different things, but it's going to end up dead because he is the only one. That'll be a message for the world, but also a message for us personally. We'll apply this later on at the end of the text. A couple things, preliminaries, before we start into understanding the plagues and unpacking them. There's two dominant views out of liberal Christianity, liberal scholarship, that you must be aware of when you see them. You'll see them on the History Channel. You'll see them in these documentaries on TV. But there are two dominant views that are wrong. The first dominant view is called the natural disaster view. That all the ten plagues that you see are just simply a chain reaction of natural disasters. Uh, you know, a volcano went off in Greece and caused the chain reaction to happen. It's nonsense. When you look at each individual plague, each individual plague stands alone and has all kinds of supernatural elements involved in it. 
And so it cannot be from natural disasters. It will appear that it could, but it's not because of the different aspects in the miracle. The second view that is liberal, discrediting the biblical text, is what's called the literary creation view. Now, what does that mean? It means that these people said, yes, Moses is describing an event that happened in Egypt, but he's putting his own spin on it. He's putting a theological spin. He's adding supernatural elements to it to make it, you know, the way he wants it. That, my friends, is a bold-faced lie. Moses is reporting exactly what happened. And by the way, he's got two million witnesses along with him. So if Moses wrote something wrong and added a theological spin to it, the two million people that watched it could have corrected it. So there's two million eyewitnesses to this, to what Moses is saying. So that being the case, when you see that out there, don't believe that. That is liberalism. That is false theology. What really happened is these were supernatural plagues that came directly from God. And they're going to attack two different areas. The plagues will attack two main areas. The first one is that the plague will actually attack a particular god of the Egyptians and a particular concept. And I'll get more into this, but the concept it will attack is ma'at, or order. That the Pharaoh, as the incarnate of, of Horus, was supposed to be able to hold the order together. Hold the Niles flooding and the rains and this and that. His job was to keep the order and that's called in Egyptian theology, ma'at, M-A, then A-T, ma'at. We'll talk about that because what God will do is go right after that. And he'll go after these Egyptian deities at the same time. Remember, these are not creatures that they made up, these Egyptian deities. They are fallen angels. They are either demonic or fallen angels that the Egyptians have deified. So typically, as Paul said, behind an idol was a demon or a fallen angel behind it. And so when you look at this, don't look, well, it's just, you know, crazy superstition like the Greek mythologies. No, these were real spirit beings that they worshipped. And God is going to do a direct assault on these spirit creatures we call fallen angels or demons. So there's that part. The second part that God will attack is... Decreation. Decreation. And what God is proving is that he can take that which is together and take it apart. And then after it's taken apart, he can put it back together. And again, that's attacking the ma'at. But what will happen in the stories is the Egyptian sorcerers that are demon-possessed or demon-controlled that can actually do supernatural things... The only thing they can do is decreate. They can't recreate. And God will prove that. I'll expand a little bit more on that. But I wanted to do some preliminary work before we got into the text so that you have those themes going into the plagues. I'm going to take my time. We're only going to get through the blood plague because everything is important. And everything you're reading applies to today. Everything. So it's, it's a witness that continues on from God. Now, let me explain a little bit more in depth the concept of ma'at. And I'll point it to what's going on currently. The ma'at figure it was an Egyptian female deity. But typically, she was looked at as more of a concept 
And she typically is a woman with ostrich wings, and you can see this on, all over their tombs, and it's in Egyptian uh, hieroglyphs and whatnot. But anyway, ma'at was this concept that establishes order. Ma'at means that which is made straight in Egyptian. And ma'at was part of the cycles of, of the seasons, and, and Pharaoh's job is to take care of ma'at and make sure it's running okay. To understand ma'at, it's nothing new. It comes from Babylon. I know we're looking at the Egyptians, but the concept of ma'at comes from Babylon. And it's in most of the false religions on the planet, particularly Hinduism and New Age. Now, let me bridge this so you understand. When you hear a New Ager talk today, or you hear a Hindu or a Taoist or someone from Eastern religions talk about balance, that's ma'at. These Eastern religions that have the yin and the yang, and we got to balance life. You got to balance the creation. We got to make sure that Mother Earth is doing okay and she's balanced and whatnot. When you see that, that comes straight from Babylon. This is what it is that's happening here in Egypt, and it's happening today. Let me give you an example of ma'at. When puny man thinks that he can fix the hoax of global warming by cutting down carbon emissions or not driving their SUVs, and they love the fact that we were shut down and we didn't drive our cars, right? They love that. They said, oh, the carbon emissions are less. What man is really saying through that global climate hoax, and it is a hoax, by the way. The evidence doesn't point to that. They're saying that man has the ability to control the weather, that we can control the hot and the cold. And Genesis 8.22 says, you can't. God does it. And by the way, how does God show that man has no control over carbon emissions or the ma'at? He says, you fools, you want to do it by not driving your cars. All I have to do is erupt one volcano and it erases a hundred years of you trying to save carbon emissions. One volcano erases everything you've ever done in carbon emissions. How stupid does man look when he tries to control the world and the created order? Only God creates the created order and sustains it and holds it. Puny man, thinking he can control it, is likened unto Pharaoh who thinks he has control of ma'at. This is why we've seen even in churches now, they, you're hearing pastors talk about, well, there's balance and we've got to be creation care. And we, no, no, that's not Christianity. The world is controlled by God as far as the system, the gravity, laws of gravity, all the physical laws are controlled by God and he sustains it. I don't need to worry about that. He takes care of it. But he's going to prove that to the Egyptians because they think Pharaoh and that the god Hopi actually control the Nile. And so he's going to go right for the jugular on that and give Hopi a beatdown is basically what's going to happen. He's going to prove to the Egyptians, you're crazy thinking this way. It's not going to work. Anyway, Let's start in verse 14, and then we'll talk along as we go through this and unpack a lot of these concepts. Verse 14, chapter 7. And so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard, and he refuses to let the people go. Now, 
you already know Pharaoh's heart's going to be hard. We talked about that when we talked last time about what hardness is. But why does he keep telling Moses, his heart is hard, his heart is hard, his heart is hard? It's to help Moses keep his expectations where they need to be. Because as you know, Moses failed in one sense and thought, well, Pharaoh's going to believe him once we show them the snake miracle, he's going to believe and let everyone go. And it's like, no, he's not going to do that. You should have listened to what the Lord said, Moses. And this is an important concept for you and I on expectations. Let me ask you this. As far as what the Holy Spirit is telling believers right now, remnant believers who are in tune with the Lord, listening to the Lord as they watch our society. What is your conviction from the Holy Spirit about this concept? Will we return to how America used to be or will we morph into something very different? I feel impressed by the Holy Spirit that we're never going back to as life was. We will have to adapt to the new reality of how life is becoming here in the United States and around the world. Now, what does that do for me if I understand that? If you feel the Holy Spirit's telling you, yes, prepare yourself. What he's doing is giving you the right expectation of how to judge the world. If you have this Pollyanna idea that we're going to get back to the 1950s and we're going to have a major revival and it's going to be great, you're fooling yourself. You're not in reality. If you think the Ten Commandments are coming back, if you think prayer in school is coming back, if you think that there's, there's going to be massive revivals, the Scripture doesn't say that. The Scripture says prepare for apostasy. Prepare for perilous times. That's what it's actually saying. But you know what? That doesn't sell. That doesn't sell to tell people the reality of things. Because, boy, that seems, I, I, you know, I don't want to walk away, Brandon, and feel bad. I, I don't want you to lift me up. But what do I do with the scriptures? What if it's saying that? So what, what he's doing for Moses is saying, Moses, get your expectations down. Pharaoh's not going to respond. Believer, today, put your expectations down and what you need to realize this is where it's at. This is where we're going forward. And at that point, then you will be able to spiritually adapt to what's coming our way. Think about the crazy things even this week that you saw. You know, I went around to several stores and I noticed a sign in front of the store. And you know what it said? We don't take change anymore. You either pay the amount or you use your debit card. Now, as a Christian, what do you think that's doing? It's pushing us along this whole corona thing that came out of Wuhan, by the way, um, this whole corona thing has made us so scared to do anything. It's paralyzed us. And now we're saying, yeah, boy, we, 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 we can't touch money because we're going to get the coronavirus for money. We've got to get rid of money. How many viruses have we dealt with in the last hundred years and we didn't get rid of money? Why? Why all of a sudden do you want to go digital? Well, we have the means to. No, 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 no. If you go digital, we lose control of how we spend. You can't pay some neighbor kid to cut your lawn anymore because you would have to do a transaction through the bank. You can't do the same thing anymore. You will lose control of your money when we go digital. Oh, I don't want to think like that. I have all my money in a mattress, right? Well, guess what? If you do, you're going to, in order to get the digital currency, you're going to have to put that money back into the bank. 
perilous times are coming. You see? And so our expectation needs to be at the level of where reality is at. Not too negative, not too but positive, but where is reality? And that's what he's doing for Moses. Let's move on. Verse 15. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out into the, to the water, and you shall stand by the river bank to meet him. Why is that significant? Moses is going to meet Pharaoh at the river bank. That's significant. Don't miss this. Where did Pharaoh tell the Egyptians to kill the babies of the Hebrews? Throw them into the water. So basically he told them, stand at the bank and toss the babies out in the water. And if Hopi receives that sacrifice, then the baby will die and be a sacrifice to Hopi. But if Hopi rejects that, he'll, he'll spit the baby out and the baby will come back on land. Let me ask you this about old Hopi. Did he spit one Jewish baby out of his mouth? No. So all the Hebrew babies who were tossed into the Nile were done so from the bank. What else happened at the bank? Moses was put on the bank in reeds and hidden there. And he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, right? uh, Another Pharaoh, not talking about the current one. And he was saved at the bank. I want you to see that. Two things I want to point out. Judgment and salvation is at the same place. Judgment and salvation is at the same place for us at the cross. Judgment and salvation, right? Our salvation, Christ's judgment for us. You see how that brilliantly works? How God weaves that together of judgment and salvation at the same place. Okay. The second thing is this. Egypt or the world, you can make a decision here. You can be on the bank with Pharaoh and you're going to be judged, or you can be like Moses and I'll rescue you. Either way, you make your choice, at the bank or at the cross, so to speak. The second thing I want to point out theologically that's happening at the bank is that God is bringing the whole thing full circle. And this is an important concept. You'll see this in many texts of Scripture. This is where Pharaoh made his edict to throw the babies into the Nile, and it will be there that the first plague happens to destroy Egypt. So it's brought full circle. And a lot of these plagues will be brought full circle. But let me unpack that on a personal application level. Let me give you a a kind of a global thing and then go to a personal thing. The Tower of Babel started in Iraq. It wasn't called Iraq, but it was in the Fertile Crescent. Where the Tower of Babel is today would be in Iraq about 50 or 60 kilometers south of Baghdad, okay? The funny thing is, the Bible predicts that Babylon will be rebuilt for the Antichrist and his headquarters. Guess where? Right there where it starts. Where Nimrod put his Tower of Babel, Antichrist will put his Babylonian empire right there to rule from the world in Iraq, What's the principle? It goes back to where it starts so that God can judge it where it's at, where it started, where man got off the path, if that makes sense. Now, put it on a personal level. What you'll notice in your walk with the Lord is he will bring you full circle to all your issues. 
and this gets very uncomfortable many times. Things that you thought you dealt with, things that you thought, you know what, I forgave, I got that, it's a done in the past, hey, I'm good. And the funny thing about it, if you're not good and you really didn't deal with it, guess what'll happen? It'll come full circle, and boom, it'll nail you when you're older, and you're like, I thought I already dealt with this. And what you'll realize, God is saying, no, I'm bringing you to where you got off the path on this issue, and I'm bringing you to the very location that you got off the path. And I want you to deal with it. Because it's plaguing you, it's putting you in bondage, and I want this out of your life. And maybe you have a certain percentage that you've worked on. Yeah, I'm 80%. But God's saying, I want the 20% out of there. I want that gone. And so he will bring you back to that very point. And folks, it's good for us because he's trying to free us. But I'm going to tell you, it, it will be a shocker for you because you thought you had dealt with it. Watch that. But that's what he's doing here. Let's continue on. And the rod which has turned to a serpent, you shall take in your hand. It's the same rod, right? The power of God. And you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says Yahweh, by this you shall know that I am the Lord or Yahweh. Now, let me stop right there and kind of unpack that a little bit. It's not that Pharaoh doesn't know Yahweh, know of him. He knows he's the God of the Hebrews. Pharaoh has taken the stance of saying, who is Yahweh? It's a challenge, a blasphemous challenge to Yahweh. And he's done this in a previous text with Moses with the snake situation. Who is Yahweh? The idea is, a, I dare him to do something to me. If I... Pharaoh thinks he's Horus incarnate. He thinks he's a god. Just like these politicians think they're gods, right? They act like they walk on water. It's the same mentality. And they're challenging it. Who is God? I dare him to do something. It's like Gavin Newsom saying, well, I'm going to shut down the churches. I dare Jesus to do something to me. That's what it is. These politicians are tempting the Lord. And they're going to get a big shock and a big surprise. I don't think I would tango with Yahweh or Jesus when I read certain things about him. He's not someone to be messed with. Jesus even warned about it. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can destroy your soul in hell. Huh. And they want to toy with him. Wow. He's trying to tell Pharaoh, you're going to learn my power, Pharaoh. You know my name, but I'm going to show you my power. And I'm going to throttle you. I'm going to throttle Egypt, and I'm going to show you who you're messing with. These little flunkies that you're worshiping, these fallen angels, these fallen demons that fell, were part of the creation I made. They were the third who rebelled against me. And I will show you they're no match for me. I'm the one who made them. They are nothing but flunkies. And you've been worshiping flunkies. I will show you the true power and I will demonstrate it through the ten plagues. And by the way, you will understand that I'm the God of the Hebrews. And that's important to understand. And I want to bring this up to today. Why does God want to be associated with the Hebrews? Why is that? Because there's a connection between God and the Jews. 
They're his people he chose to be a light unto the Gentiles. They're the ones he chose to send the prophets. They're the ones he chose to send the Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant, the new covenant. By the way, yes, you, are part, you and I are part of the new covenant, but it's a Jewish covenant. You have been engrafted in as a Gentile into a Jewish covenant. And you have the land covenant. And all these things he promised. And by the way, what is the biggest promise through the Jewish line? Messiah. Did you see the prophecy update? They want to make Jesus a black man, or in other churches, they want to make him an Asian, or they want to make him something. Why are they doing Or they make him Scandinavian or whatever, blonde hair and blue eyes. Why are they doing that? Why do they continue to portray Jesus as a non-Jew? That is satanic, because the Messiah is Yeshua, Hamashiach. That's who he is. He's Jewish because the Jewishness ties him to all the covenant promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To divorce Jesus from the Jews or the Jewish heritage is to create a foreign God. And that's what a lot of these churches are doing through replacement theology. They're making Jesus a Gentile God. Do you know if you ask the common Christian, is Jesus Jewish? They can't even tell you. Isn't that sad? How did we get this far of divorcing from our Jewish roots? Because of Satan and anti-Semitism. Because guess what? The second coming is predicated on the Jews receiving Messiah. The kingdom age is predicated on the Jews receiving the Messiah. You're not going to have a kingdom unless the Jews come to faith in Messiah. You see how Satan tries to divorce the church from that? Hmm. This is what he's trying to tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the one God that created all things, he's the Hebrew God. And don't make that mistake. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that doesn't change, even to this day. Let's move on. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. So let's explain a couple of things here. Let's unpack this. The blood. This is a blood plague. Okay, You'll see blood plagues in the tribulation where God actually turns the entire water system on planet earth into blood. You will not be able to escape it in the future. So this is a precursor of the final turning water into blood. Now, couple things I want to say about the first thing I want to say is why blood because it's referring to Genesis 9 under the Noahic covenant God established civil government and he established along with civil government capital punishment the two go hand in hand that's why Paul in Romans 13 mentions that the authorities don't handle the sword for nothing okay the authorities have the right to do capital punishment, not vigilantism like you're seeing in the streets. The authority rests in the government. Okay, notice that in the Noahic covenant, God establishes this for the first time, that if you shed innocent blood, your life will be demanded of you, capital punishment. Okay, so what was happening in the days of Noah before this, before he instituted a government and before he instituted capital punishment? They were going hog wild. They were killing everybody at whim. No one had any value. Days of Noah were completely violent. 
That's part of it. They were also supernatural and their hybrids and all kinds of stuff. But part of the big issue of Noah's day was their violence, murderous, bloodthirsty. You can see it in these Antifa groups, can't you? You can see it in these Black Lives Matter groups. They're bloodthirsty. The mob mentality, these communist groups want to kill. And what are they trying to attack? Take down the government, take down the police. So what? So we can have a utopia of euphoria and unicorns walking around and uh, we all get along and so peaceful? What will happen if they take down the police and the authority of the civil government? They will become the authority and they will install their own police force like they've done in every communist regime. They just want the power. They want the money. And they will walk around in their brown shirts and tell you what to do and follow the narrative. That's what you do. They just don't want no police. They want their own police is what they want. But behind every communist revolution that you've ever studied in history and is happening right now in America, tell me if they're the peaceful people or the kind that kill. A hundred million people died at the hands of communists. I don't have to guess what they're going to do. I know what they want to do. You first tear down the statues, you tear down the history, and then anyone that doesn't march along, like Target or anyone else, we will kill you. We will come to your house and kill you. That's how it works. It shouldn't shock you that you're seeing today an attack on civil government because the civil government holds the sword for capital punishment for murder. So if you're going to get rid of the civil government, then you don't have a sword to do capital punishment, so it gives me the ability to murder without consequence. Have you not seen that in the no-go zone? Someone was killed in that no-go zone in Seattle, and no one knows what happened. I saw the father on Fox News being interviewed, and he says, my son got killed in there, and no one tells me anything. Mayor, no one. That's right, because in a lawless situation, people die. So what you're seeing here is God saying, look, Egypt, Pharaoh, you're in violation of the way of covenant. You have shed innocent blood by throwing babies into the river and killing them, like Planned Parenthood, right? And therefore, the judgment I will serve up to you will be of blood, because you are guilty of blood. But I'm going to give you a grace and mercy in this. In fact, I should, Yahweh speaking, kill all of you for what you have done. But I'm not. I'm actually going to offer you grace and mercy, and I will just turn your water into blood, and I won't require your blood. Because I want you to either make a decision for me or make a decision for Pharaoh and your false gods. So there's mercy and grace in this whole thing that he's offering. Yahweh would have every right to wipe them out for what they did to the Hebrews, but he doesn't. What he does, instead of taking their life, is he takes away their source of life. Oh, that's poetic justice. What do you mean? The Nile River was their source of all life. The Nile was such a source of life to the Egyptians, it was a god to them. And it was a god to them in the form of Hopi. They called him Hopi. It's this H with apostrophe P-I, Hopi. And you'll see this deity in Egyptian hieroglyphs and other pictures from the Egyptians. 
But Hopi was a hermaphrodite. I know that sounds weird. He was a god that was a hermaphrodite. And he typically had women's breasts and he had a pregnant stomach. See that white line coming down? That's a symbol of Hopi's pregnancy. He was hermaphrodite. Well, what they did is they combined the sexual union of a man and a woman in the form to Hopi to where Hopi would fertilize the land by the water and then he provided fertility as the waters would inundate and flood the land and bring the silt out of that water and make the land fertile. And it did that every year. They didn't have to fertilize anything. It just always came out in the floods and they had incredible crops that they could grow there because of the silt and the sand and the minerals that came out of the Nile. Well, then it got represented by Hopi, who was a hermaphrodite, the both female and male aspects. Okay, they worshiped this, this river. This was a god to them. It's a pantheistic type of worldview. And so God says, I then am going to remove your source of life. Now, I want you to think about what they used the Nile for. Everything the Egyptians did was from the Nile. The fish they caught, the agrarian food that they grew, all came from the Nile. The water they drank, the laundry they did, all their cooking was done there. Everything they did, even worship the gods, was through the Nile. And hence, God says, you consider this your source of life? Click. I'm just turning it off for you. And he does it not by shutting the waters off, but I'm going to turn the water that's a life-giving to you into death. I will serve you up death. You won't be able to do anything. Now, let's bring this into a modern understanding of what, what's happening because that seems far removed from us. But it's really not. To the Egyptians, this was their economy. And they end up deifying their economy, their money, their way of life. And hence, is American society any different than that? If I put it in those terms. People deify the economy and then see the economy, their job, their money, their possessions, as their source of life. Instead of Yahweh, instead of Jesus. It's very subtle, but it can happen. Especially to secular people. Their job is everything. Their money is everything. Their retirement accounts are everything. But guess what God is doing right now? He is shaking the world economically, saying, you're going to keep trusting in the money? How long are you keep trusting? All the way? Are we going to ever let this go? When you see the economy tank during this stupid coronavirus shutdown, which is, let me tell you something, let me do a sidebar about this. You ready for this? This coronavirus shutdown is right out of the playbook of the communists. The playbook we're on right now is coming from China. Oh, I can't say that because that's racist to say the Wuhan virus, you know, came from China. I can't say the coronavirus is China virus. Why is that being said? Because it came out of Wuhan, a lab, a fourth-level lab that does biotech weapons through diseases. And no one wants to talk about that. No one, it hasn't even made the radar as far as the news. Oh, that's just racist to say that. What's racist to say it came out of a lab in China? See, if it does, you don't agree with them, you're racist. But anyway, we are doing, on the shutdown, 
the exact same playbook as what's coming out of China, what they're doing. Why would Americans do a playbook out of China? Unless the communists are involved. Because Red China is controlling the World Health Organization, are they not? And the dude who runs the World Health Organization, take a guess of what political affiliation he's with. Communism. He's a flat-out communist, and he's telling the world what to do economically. (laughs) You can't get better than that. But no one will connect the dots. No one. Because it's racist to connect with China virus. Why do I say all of that? Because with all that's going on, what do you think God's trying to say to the average person, even the Christian? Wake up. You have been putting too much stock into your world. You've been trusting in your economy. You've been trusting in your own money, your own things for life. And I'm going to shake this world to show you I am your only source of life. I am the only source of provision, Jesus is saying. Not your retirement. I am your retirement, Jesus is saying. I am your job. Follow me, I'll take care of you. Just like I proved to the disciples, I could take care of them economically and they're in their vocations. When I told them to come, drop their nets and follow me, why did you think I did a miraculous draft of fish on the right side of the boat? I proved to them, if they follow me, I will take care of them economically. That's what the miracle was proving to them. That you could leave your profession and I will take care of you. So no matter what happens to you, You have to keep that in the back of your mind. You might lose your job one day for taking a stand for Christ. You might get derailed so bad in this economy. You might lose everything. But at the end of the day, God is saying, I'm your life. Don't you think I can provide for you? Don't you think I'll help you? Don't you think I know you have a family? I will be there for you. Just trust me and follow me. I will not let you go begging for bread. You're my child if you follow me. And, and therefore, I will provide. The promise we have as believers is that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ, his glorious riches in Christ. But the caveat is, you've got to be following him. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about fellowship in sanctification, that you're growing with him. Then, those promises are afforded to those who follow God. Okay? So keep that in mind. Okay, let's go back to the text. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, over all their pools of water that they may become blood. Basically, it's like this. I'm going to tank the economy right now. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, both in the buckets of wood and the pitchers of stone. There's not a place where you can't go where blood has not replaced the water. It's everywhere. Okay. That being stated, what is God doing on another level? He's attacking Ma'at. Okay? Not only is he attacking Hopi, the god Hopi, but he's attacking Ma'at. Now, like I mentioned before, Ma'at is the idea of order, non-chaos, keeping everything together. So when the water turns into blood, that's chaotic. And that's meant to be chaotic because God is decreating the water. To show them chaos. So really, when you look at judgment, it's a decreation. It's a, a chaos. Introducing chaos into the order. Okay. So this is what he's going to do. Is uh, I'm going to decreate this whole thing. And the challenge is, I dare you to put it back. I dare you to try to put it back. 
Only Yahweh will be able to do this. Now, this will go into what the magicians will be able to do, and we'll talk about that. But keep that in mind. God can uncreate, but he dares them to recreate it. Okay, verse 20. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants. So it was a public miracle, okay? And all the waters that were in the river turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So it's a public miracle. It is basically humiliating Pharaoh. If he's Horus incarnate, then Pharaoh do something, because your responsibility is to keep the mod. So it's, it's, it's totally embarrassing him, by the way. Totally shaming him. But anyway, now watch what happens when these sorcerers get involved. It says, then the magicians of Egypt. Now, I put in your text, it's hartumim. It's an Egyptian borrowed word that Moses incorporates into the text. Um, It's not a Hebrew word, it's it's an Egyptian. Hartumim, the hartumim in Egypt were what's called the chief lector priests. The chief lector priests. Now, this wasn't a common priest on the bottom level. We're talking the top-notch guys. The top priests of, of the Egyptian culture. Okay. These particular lector priests were involved heavily in the occult. There's no doubt about it, man. They possessed, they were the ones who did the enchantments, the special rites, the sorcery in Egypt. And they were privy, in Egyptian writings, it says they were privy to secret knowledge from the gods. Okay, what that that's a sign is they were involved in, in the occult information. What do you mean occult information? Look, when you study the occult and you study people who have been possessed or guided by fallen angels or demons, they give the people information, secret information that human beings are not supposed to have. That's why it's called the occult. It's taking away and unrevealing secret knowledge. And they do have secret knowledge that they're not supposed to share with fallen angels, so of course I'm not going to obey. So they do. And so when they're in those kinds of relationships with fallen angels and demons, they give them information and give them power to do certain things. Now, the power doesn't rest in the priest. The power rests in the rite or incantation that they do to cause the demonic or the fallen angel to act in power. And that's what these guys have. So what you'll see from them is they will possess supernatural abilities, Not like God, but they do possess supernatural abilities. So what does it say? So the magicians of the, or the Hartumim of Egypt did so with their enchantments. So with their their enchantments, with sorcery, which called upon the false god to do something, the false god was able to give them the power to recreate the situation, to turn water into blood, Okay. It's not a sleight of hand. This is real deal, supernatural stuff, okay? But again, let me rephrase this. What were they able to do and what were they not able to do? They can't reverse it. In fact, what they're doing is making it worse. They are also doing a miracle of decreation, but the challenge is stop it. The challenge is turn it back into water, and they can't. 
let me do a sidebar here about application on this. We're going to live in some weird times, man. You're going to see a lot of supernatural things if the rapture doesn't come soon. And some of that stuff you're going to see is supernatural. It's not explained by the laws of physics. And what, let me tell you something about when you see the supernatural. Just because it's supernatural doesn't make it true. But let me add to this. What this text is warning you about is the demonic or fallen angels can do miracles of decreation, but they can't recreate. So when you're observing and you're watching something supernatural, ask yourself, is that a creation or is that a decreation? It's just like I'm watching the communists now. What can only the communists do? They can only tear things down. They don't make anything good. They decreate. And that's when you see even people who destroy things, that's demonic. Because the demonic never builds anything. They don't create something new. Only God does that. And that being said, I'll give you an example. I talked to Satanists before who have converted to Christ. They tell me they have the ability to heal people. But let me explain that. It wasn't a healing of a recreation of a new arm or a new limb or anything like that. It was actually a decreation. Let me explain this. They said that they had the power to inflict diseases or something on the person, decreation, and then all they would do is remove it. You would think on the surface as a counterfeit, oh, that's, they healed somebody. But what they said is, no, we weren't healing anybody. We were just removing the affliction the demon put on them. That right there is what's called a decreation. And that's all they have the ability to do is tear down supernaturally. They can't do something like God and build something or recreate supernaturally. Use that as you go forward, folks, because this world is going to be conned by lying signs and wonders that are coming, by the way. And they are coming. So anyway, these guys can't do it. And it says, and how do you think Pharaoh reacted? Should have been freaked out. Should have been scared to death. Should have been repenting. Right? Nah, not this old boy. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. Of course, I mean, God said he wouldn't. So all the Egyptians dug around the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. Isn't it funny that when people are hard-hearted, like Pharaoh or even the Egyptians, instead of saying, hey, you know what? The God of the Hebrews, he's actually life, not the Nile, and he's proving this right now. We need to worship Yahweh. Instead of worshiping, what did they do? We'll provide our own life. So they start digging on the ground, looking for water, because they are a God unto themselves and going to make life for them instead of turning to the life giver. Sad, isn't it? But folks, this is the application we want to take away. As a believer, it's very subtle to get off the path of seeing God as a source of all of our lives, especially in the area of economics. This is one of the hardest areas that most people have a very difficult time dealing with. Because you got your job, you got your retirement, you got all these bills and stuff like that. And boy, howdy, everything hangs on that paycheck coming in. Everything hangs. You got to pay your bills. It's the only way to do it. And what happens is we subtly drift over here. And before you know it, you're depending on that rather than God providing. 
And that is a death move because going to that direction ends in death. You'll experience a death. Let me give you an example. I don't know if you guys remember Deion Sanders, primetime, cornerback, uh, and he won his first Super Bowl with Dallas, I believe. And, uh, I mean, you're on top of the world. You win the Super Bowl, you got your bonuses, you got your rings, and all that stuff. It's just top of the world stuff as far as the NFL. Okay, so he wins the Super Bowl right after they stopped partying. He went to his hotel room, picked up the phone, and ordered from a car dealership a Lamborghini. Brand new Lamborghini, because he got a big bonus, right? So he's going to spend his money on a brand new Lamborghini. He bought that Lamborghini over the phone, and he said the minute he put the phone down, he felt empty. He felt dead inside. Why? Why did he feel dead inside? He won the Super Bowl. Millionaire. You just bought a Lamborghini. You think that would make you happy, no? He felt empty. And he says that was his turning point to accept Christ is when he felt that empty, that those things provided deadness and were empty to him, whereas Christ provided life. And if you ever see Dion's story, he'll tell you, you know, you can hear it on YouTube probably, his conversion to Christ has been absolutely amazing. But he experienced that. And sometimes, unfortunately, we have to experience that. We go down these rabbit trails thinking, this is going to provide me life, man. This is going to make me happy. This is going to make me feel good, whatever it is. And we go down that rabbit hole, and we find out at the end of the hole, it's nothing. It's, it can't deliver. And God's trying to say, how long are you going to keep this up? You're going to keep trusting in your personal Nile for life? Or are you going to trust me for life? We all have the decision to make. You can trust your intellect, how smart you are to get out of things. You can trust your money, materialism, your job, retirement, family. You can even trust your family, believe it or not. My family will bail me out. You can trust your spouse. You can trust your kids. You can trust making others happy to make yourself feel good. You can trust your own control of things. Trust drugs, alcohol, addictions, whatever it is. At the end of the day, if you go that route, here's the principle you will not be keeping. Seek first the kingdom of God. And what? What's the added promise to that? And all these other things will be added unto you. What was God saying? Quit trying to find your life in all these things. And if you have them, you think you have security. Seek me first. Put me as the priority of your life. And by the way, I'll add all these secondary issues to you. You won't have to worry about them because I'm a good father to you. And I can provide anything you need. I'll show you this picture real quick before we end. It's a picture of some roots. Warren Wiersbe said this. He's a great Bible teacher and highly recommend his commentary if you get it. But he said this, all of nature depends on hidden resources. He's referring to these roots here. The great trees send their roots down into the earth to draw up water and minerals. Rivers have their sources in snow-capped mountains. The most important part of a tree is the part you cannot see, uh, the root system, Right? And the most important part of the Christian's life is the part that only God sees, right? No one can see it other than God. Unless we draw upon the deep resources of God by faith, we fall against the pressures of life. Let me ask you this before we leave. You see that root system? Spiritually, that's inside of you. You're drawing from a water source. There's no doubt about it. 
The question is, are you drawing from the Nile or are you drawing from the Lord? Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.